Welcome everybody to another episode of Always Bev, The Ripple Effect. I am your host, Barb Jordan. This is the final episode of season four and I'm going and finishing with back-to-back episodes with one of my favorite guests, Moose Moore. But before we get to that, I want to thank my viewers. Of course, I want to thank all of you in California. It always warms my heart. And I'm able to see what cities listen, what countries listen. And I want to give a special shout out to everybody who is outside of the United States because I have a handful of listeners in these specific countries, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, Germany, UK, and Finland. I hope you're tuning in again because it always warms my heart to know that people that far away are listening to Always Bev, The Ripple Effect. This episode, guns and shooters are all the things that we should be watching for, not only with active shooting, but with terrorists and just everyday people who walk around carrying weapons. And really, we as ordinary citizens have no idea. If you capture a shooter, your best bet, if you got control of him, is to put him to sleep somehow, make him unconscious. My guest today is Michael Moose Moore, and he is the senior partner of the Vigilance Group. He has over 20 years in the United States Air Force, where he served as a tactical fighter pilot, flying F-4 Phantoms and F-15 Eagles. His military service also includes 12 months assigned to the United States Army in South Korea, where he was the commander of a tactical air control team and graduate of the South Korean Army Ranger School. Moose, thanks so much. It's always good to have you back. Well, you're so welcome. I'm, it's, it's an honor for me, and I'll do anything for you, Barb, because you're, you're, you're really doing some great work, and I love helping. I know you have a lot of experience with guns. Talk to us about the things that we should be watching for. Barb, we're, I don't say terrorist activity as much as I just say shooters. You know, we have got a real gun problem. And, uh, and a mental health problem. And, and, I, and you know me, I'm, you know, I'm ex-military and ex-law enforcement, and I, and I have weapons. But man, we are not prepared for what's going on in this world, uh, the number of people that are being shot. Uh, guns uh, are easily accessible. Uh, people, and most guns, by the way, that are in bad guys' hands are not purchased, they're stolen, by the way, uh, because most bad guys won't go out and purchase a six or $800 pistol or a, you know, a $2,500 rifle. So, so the truth is we've got a real gun problem and we have a, a mental health problem where everything's solved with a handgun. So those are issues. There was just a shooting in, in a Newport News high school yesterday where five kids were shot. And, uh, and there's indicators for that too, that there's things that we, we know uh, that we have to look out for. So, you know, uh, my experience has been in predictive behavioral profiling you know, which is simply stating is trying to recognize, I call it being proactive. You know, I, I, I love police officers and, and, and you know that and your parent, your family, but police officers are reactive. They're reactive to the situation and that's their job and that's how they're trained and they're, they're trying to solve an issue that after it's happened. Predictive profiling, behavioral indicators is just trying to prevent something from happening shooters are not much different. And so I can tell you that when I'm in a crowded area and I'm looking for what I would call indicators, 
I look for anything that doesn't fit the context of that environment. So, and that could be a person, it could be an object, but in this case, we're talking about people. So what doesn't fit? Uh, if somebody comes into a, uh, an area or a room or they, they don't belong there, they're probably outside of school. They may be, let's take the one in Thousand Oaks, which was the bar out in, uh, out in Cal Southern California, which was, which was horrible several years ago. Uh, the shooter that came into that bar uh, had a long coat on and was in all black, had a black hoodie on. And, and I, this had been several years ago, but the indicated for him didn't fit, you know, that bar is a college bar. Everybody in Southern California is probably dressed appropriately or having a great time. And all of a sudden you get what looks like, I call them the skater look with the black hoodie over the top of their head coming into a bar. And I'm going, there's trouble written all over that. And well, it turns out he had a handgun underneath his, and the first person that he shot in that incident was the armed security guard at the door. And I'm, and, and that's one of the things I talk about in one of my videos that if you're the armed security guard or if you're an unarmed security guard, but your job is to look for unusual behavior uh, and to look for something that doesn't look right. And, you know, that, that's a point that uh, he probably should have been confronted. The shooter was not confronted. He comes right up, shoots the, the guard, and then proceeds to go right inside uh, the bar itself and shot quite a few people. I think maybe as many as 10 or 12 people were killed in that incident. Um, and I do, I do remember uh, in reading the reports on that, that there was a father and his son on the ground. They hit the ground when the shooting started and the shooter was right next to them. And he didn't shoot them. I mean, they're laying on the ground, the shooter shooting randomly around the bar. And I saw, and I read that and I went, and he's got to live with that. And he made a comment. I can't believe that I stayed, sat right here and people, people shot and, and I didn't do anything about it. So, you know, Barb, what we teach and what you and I've done together is trying to understand fear and what fear does to your body about trying to predict if something bad's going to happen, how to recognize danger. Um, I, I tell people all the time, if I see somebody that won't look me in the eyes and, and that they they mumble and uh, if I'm either asking them a question or if they come into a situation that I don't think they fit. Uh, and by the way, I, I define that as vigilance is recognized in any unusual behavior that doesn't fit the context of that environment. Then, then it, you ought, the flags ought to go up until you can, as we say, refute what the issue is. So you go up to speak to someone and they, uh, their hands are in their pocket. They're mumbling. They won't look you in the eye. Then, then I'm, I'm prepared to do something with that. Now, I'm not telling. I've been trained on how to, to respond to that. But my feeling is, and what what I've been disappointed with at, at the secondary high school and even the college level, we don't want to talk too much about shooters because it kind of scares the audience. And 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 we in colleges. We don't want the, you know, they're a for, for-profit kind of industry and they want to make sure people come and pay their tuition and go to their colleges. So they don't want anybody to think that there could be a problem. So what I tell everybody that I speak to on the subject, Barb, and is I call it location immunity and, and assumed identity. You know, I, I, I'm at, uh, I'm in a beautiful college. I'm at, uh, nothing bad's going to happen here. There's no bad people here. That's, you know, my location is going to protect me. That's not the case. It happens in our neighborhoods and very fine cities. Uh, and then the same thing happens. Well, 
you know, I'm a good person. I would never hurt anybody. I'm sure they won't hurt me either. And that's the assumed identity. And both of those will get you in trouble because evil does exist. People will try to take advantage and they'll try to, uh, and, and with the gun issues, most guns are hidden before. And when they come out, people won't get out of a car with a gun in their hand. They're just going to have it hidden in their pants, underneath their shirt. Uh, and when the gun comes out, uh, you have about three to five seconds to respond to that before you, you can't respond to it. So, you know, it takes one of the things I do teach, it takes about a quarter of a second to half a second from the brain to pull the, the, the trigger. So there is some time. Uh, and, and when a, somebody comes into a location to shoot, you know, Barb, you and I've looked at many videos of and Columbine comes to mind and even Parkland down in Florida, when the shooters came into the room or to and started shooting, people are, are going away from the shooter and, and they're trying to get out. You know, we talk about uh, hide or flight and then fights the last thing. But if you're in a closed room, you can't hide. Uh, and, and, uh, there's, there's no place to flee to because there's only two exits, then, then you're left with fighting. And so one of the things I talk about Barb and train, and I tell everybody that if you're in the room with an active shooter that comes into a room or starts shooting, you are the first responder. There's nobody there to help you. And so you better have a plan. And that's mm -hmm. one of the things that we talk about. And, and it's just not my company. It's any company, find somebody that can teach you how to respond, how, how to be smart. Uh, a handgun or even a rifle, the only dangerous part of it is the end of the barrel that's got to be pointing at you. So I tell people all the time, and I, I did training once for a church with some 80-year-old people, and I had a training rifle. And, I, and this 80-year-old man, and I'm taking the rifle, and I was doing training, and I pointed it away from him, 90 degrees away from him. And I looked at him, and I said, am I threatening you? And he said, no, you're shooting those people over there. That's where I had the gun pointed. I said, well, why don't you take the gun from me? And he says, well, how do I do that? And so I just showed him how, now this was an 80 year old man. I feel like I'm in pretty good shape. He grabbed the barrel of the gun and grabbed the buttstock and then push it up in my face. Like you would a broom handle, if you will. And he pushed this 80 year old man held that rifle and I couldn't pull it. I couldn't push it down. And so, and the point that I was trying to make, is that he wasn't defenseless and the gun wasn't pointing at him. Mm -hmm. And if that elderly man had just held that rifle at his, he did for five to 10 seconds, you could have jumped in. Your friends could have jumped in. Uh, you, you could have done so much damage to me that there's no way I would have shot another person if I shot anyone. So mm -hmm. active shooters takes training. How do you respond to that? And if you think that you're just going to hide underneath the table, that doesn't work. I mean, okay. I, I got two, I got two questions for okay. you. One is about the gun. Okay. Why, why is it important or why is it difficult for a shooter okay. when somebody takes the end of the gun okay. and thrusts it up and thrusts it up? Okay. Why so, is that difficult? Well, because your if you think about your muscle memory, you're going to, you're going to take, uh, when your body and your hands are holding, well, let's just take a rifle. Cause that's what comes into mind. If, if you, trying to push down with your biceps, your triceps, your upper body, your, your, uh, your legs aren't helping you. Okay. Cause you're going the opposite of your legs. You don't have near the strength. If, if somebody pushes the gun down, I've got my legs to support against the ground. I can use my thighs, my quads, and I can bring my triceps and my shoulders and try to pull the weapon up. So if a weapon's pointed up, 
it's more difficult for the shooter, whoever has the gun, to push it down. And you can try that with a broom in your kitchen and just see which is easier. The handgun itself. Wait, let me get a visual. Everyone okay. listening to this episode tonight, I want you to grab a broom in yeah. your kitchen and hold it like you're shooting. And then the person who's going to attack you to take it away, they have to practice pushing the end of it up to the sky. And they're going to realize that they really do have control of the gun. That's a great uh, analogy. Yeah. I love that. Well, it's one that I think we need to think about. Obviously, if you approach a shooter that has a rifle pointing straight at you, you're in trouble because all he has to do is pull the trigger. But from the side, you can do the same thing. Handguns, uh, you know, a rifle can have a lot, can have a 30 round magazine uh, in it and, and it can shoot a lot of bullets, obviously. A handgun can have as many as 14 or 15, depending on what type of handgun it is. But a handgun, you know, once again, the the semi-automatic weapon, which is the popular gun now that you see on TV, everybody seems to buy. It's where you pull the trigger and and the bullets are in the the handle itself, and they and the and the barrel cycles. You go boom, and then bullet spits out, and then it does it again. Well, if you actually grab the barrel itself. When the, when the trigger's being squeezed, that slide can't go back. It can't expel the bullet that's just been shot. The bullet in, in that's in the magazine can't get in because it, it's a roadblock. Does that make sense? They mm -hmm. jam into each other. So handguns are, um, you know, if you can get a hold of a handgun and grab the handgun, um, that's one way. I, I, I'm just sharing this knowledge. I'm not advocating anybody to grab guns when somebody has a gun on you. I, I do say this, never lose your life for things. So if somebody wants to rob you, wants to take your car, wants to take your iPad, you give all that stuff up. If they want your life, if they want to take you or your daughter or your family members, then it's, then it's a fight. Mm -hmm. And and we can talk more about that. But that that's a training. I think what I'm trying to say, Barb, and what you've kind of done it, in your own business, it, muscle memory, uh, find out how you can and what you can do. I'm a big believer in winning the fight without having to fight. So you and I teach awareness and vigilance and, and paying attention recognizing unusual behavior, predictive profiling, but sometimes you're not going to have that luxury and you're going to have to fight. You have done some interesting things where you went out and shot a gun because people are like, Oh, oh yeah. we're going to, you know, run, we're going to hide. Tell me, uh, two places that don't work where you hide. If someone's actively shooting at you and you try to take cover two places that would not stop a bullet. Uh, hollow doors inside of most buildings because th the doors that go between office spaces are not solid doors by and large. They're so expensive. So sit standing behind a door uh, inside a building or your home is probably not going to stop a bullet. Um, your your walls, uh, the other thing is, is some wood. Uh, if you think you can pick up a table and a coffee table, it'll shoot right through a table. I've, I've shot through tables. I've shot through doors. I've shot through chairs just to see the bullet velocity and what it would do. Now it gets going through them. I'm not sure how much impacts on the other side. Uh, I will tell you this handguns, uh, are not, um, they don't make organs explode internally. The muzzle velocity of a 45 caliber pistol is probably 850 feet per second. So my point is this, you can be shot with a handgun in our, 
historically what we've learned in the military is that about 85% of handgun wounds are survivable because they don't cavitate the organs. Why do people die from handguns is because they bleed out. And there's a significant difference in that. So if you're isolated and you are shot with a handgun in the shoulder, the arm, the leg, there's a potential that you could bleed out if you don't get medical attention. So if you've been abducted and moved to a second location and you're out in the back county in some woods and you're shot and nobody's around, you probably won't survive that handgun wound. Um, I know in active shooter scenarios and what's happened in reality is that when a shooter comes into a church, a school, a bar, and they start shooting people and law enforcement responds Medical won't go into that building until the building's been cleared. So let's just take an incident where a shooter goes and the shooter takes his own life and the, the shooting is stopped. The law enforcement comes in. They go to every room. They clear the rooms. They step over the people that are injured because that's not their job. Their job is to find if there's any more shooters. By the time medical attention comes in, it may be 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour after the shooting takes place. That's where the fatalities happen because they've bled out. So. I think in this incident, we've gotten off on guns, and, and uh, I, I don't know if you want to go in that direction, but the truth is we need to think about, you may not be able to hide. The church that was in Sandy Springs, Texas, where 25 people died with a shooter that came in with a rifle, it was an AR-15. He was mental, if you will. I think we all know that. But he came in and reloaded three times. He, he, and, and every person in that church went underneath the pews. So there was not run out of the building, they were underneath the pews. And he went around and summarily executed 25 people. He would reload and shoot again. He'd reload and shoot again. And I'm going, wow, I'm not, I'm not dying like that, you know. And I, and I think that there's certain things. What I do teach, Barb, and you've seen it before, um, if you if you have a rifle and point it in my head and I have a good old, you know, soft 11 inch softball and throw it at your head, I promise you, you're not going to let me hit you with that softball in the nose. And if it's a water bottle and I throw it at you, you probably won't let me hit you in the face. You're going to jerk, pull your hands up. There's a normal reflection that you can't control for your brain. So if you have a handgun pointed at someone and that person throws something at you, you're going to flinch. You're going to the gun's going to come off. The, the subject and you're going to flinch for about a second and a half. And I'm telling you, Barb, most people can cover 10 to 15 feet in that, in that length of time. So space, if you can get away from the shooter outside of 15 feet running, you're, you're doing a great job getting away. If you can close and get to the shooter before he shoots and you're on top of the shooter, then you're safe. You've got a better opportunity to, to save yourself. If you have other people there to help you. And All right. What about uh, hiding behind a car? Is a car a good um, place uh, to hide from a gun? Well, uh, there's concealment and, and then there is cover. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if you're just on one side of a car, certainly if the shooting's going outside and, and I can, if I'm going to hide on a side of a car, I'm going to be by the tire. At least I can't shoot underneath the car and hit me. Uh, a, a bullet can't go through a car. It can go through a car door. Uh, certainly a rifle can shoot through a car door. So just because you're ducked down in a vehicle, if, if I had a vehicle running, I'm driving the car. You know, if I had a shooter, if I'm, if I'm driving my car and come out of a parking lot and there's a shooter, my best defense is probably to run over the shooter doing about 30 miles. 
<laughs> so, all right, I got one more. I got a couple I, more for you while we're on this. Yeah, I'm thinking because people like grow to run and hide, and we're not always going to be in a in a Walmart, you no. know. So let's just say we are outdoors. Let's say you know whatever we're in a we run outdoors to a parking lot yeah. and we're followed. What about like a big pillar in a parking structure, big cement pillar with the metal, you know, the metal beam? Well, you, I, mean, I mean, all that is great at, at the moment, certainly. But if the shooter gets out, out of the vehicle or gets out wherever he is and comes around the other side of the pillar, sure, I mean, sure. anything that you can put between you and the shooter is going to help. No question about it. Okay. I think that, uh, I mean, those are, the point is never sit there and look at a shooter. I know in Columbine, uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, who I heard his briefing, he showed up on that site within hours after the shooting. There was one student still sitting in her classroom chair. Dead, of course. And unfortunately, the bullet went through her head. And, and I thought, and, and the point that was made is do something, you know. And once again, I'm not blaming that poor child and that parent that lost that child. Uh, but I'm just telling your audience that you do have an option. And... Uh, and we always talk about run, hide, and fight, but we spend very little time on fighting. And that's the point that I made. If you're in a great big room with a lot of innocent people and one shooter comes in, you're not all going to get out. And right. there's going to probably be a lot of blood that will be spilt and, and, and a lot of fatalities. If the shooter comes in and all of a sudden he's summarily attacked by about 25 people or three people or four people, there may be, there'll be some people shot. I, I'm not going to deny that where they live. They might all live because you're going to get medical attention. And, um, you know, when I, when I brief churches for this, and this is kind of a tough subject, but I do believe in St. Michael. And I do believe that God gave us some, some, the mindset to fight. But if you capture a shooter, your best bet, if you got control of him, is to put him to sleep somehow, make him unconscious. And there's quite a few options and I will talk about them on air, but certainly a shooter that is, <laughs> a shooter that has been captured. Your best bet is to make him to neutralize him. And, yeah, you know who I'd like to neutralize is Brian Laundry. That's who I would uh, personally like to neutralize. Uh, okay, <laughs> I have it all written a text message from last night with someone on the other side saying "Amen." amen. Okay, uh, another question. Last question about guns, and, and yeah. it, I get asked this all the time. And I know what my answer is. I want to hear what your answer is. So you're saying get 15 feet. It's not going to be a kill shot, you know, yeah. up close three to five feet. You got your main aortic artery, your head, all that stuff. But people say you're like, run, run from a gun, right? Yeah. So somebody pulls out a gun and you're eight feet away, right? Yeah. A handgun. Yeah. And you've made up your mind to run. People ask. Should I run it in a diagonal zigzag yeah. or should I just run? What, what's your advice? Well, I think uh, honestly, probably movement is, is it better? I mean, if you, if you're running away and you've got some speed and you're separating yourself, um, the, the person that's going to shoot at you is going to try to put the front sight on your body. And if you're, if your body is going from left to right, <clears throat> excuse me, every every second and a half, then it's going to be hard to put that front sight on you. So if I'm running and if I can make any kind of zigzag movement, move my shoulders, move my body, it's probably not a bad. I would suggest that if you have the room to do that, if you're just on a straight line, there is an opportunity that it put a front sight on you. But then 
I just say get away. The point is, and I, what I tell people, and I've told you this before too, Barb, you might get shot 15, 18, 20 feet away, run away, and not even know you've been shot, depending on where you, and I tell people all the time when I teach this, I say, when I'm running away, I don't have a lot of vitals on the backside of my body. You know, I've got my butt and I've got my back and my shoulders, but um, to get to the organs that are, that's usually the front shot, you know, the hip girdle, which is the, your femoral artery or your your heart or your chest cavity or your head. But I say, I'd say zigzag is probably better if you could, if you have the presence of mind to do that and not, okay. and not slow you down too much. Awesome. Great stuff, Moose. All right. Listen, I thank you so much for all your time. Great stuff. Great stuff. And uh, I'll let you know, uh, I'll let you know how this episode does and we'll stay in touch. Okay. Well, you call me anytime, Barb, you know, I love doing this. Big demand for you, Moose. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Sorry to say that, but I'm, I'm glad I'm here to help. I love talking to Moose and he's always enlightening. He always has something new that I can capture myself. And I hope you feel the same way about him too. All right. That wraps up season four for always Bev, the ripple effect. I hope you join us in our next uh, season coming up. Some very interesting guests will be here, including some people that have been victims to some violent crimes. And they are going to tell us the warning signs that they saw moments before it occurred. I'm your host, Barb Jordan. Thanks for joining me in another episode of Always Bev, The Ripple Effect. Mm-hmm.